Good morning. Good to see you all. As Conda said, my name is Matt and I serve as one of the pastors here. And uh, so good to be with you here uh, this morning and excited to open God's Word together and launch this series, Summer Lovin'. I mean, it's been like five, six months since we've had a good love sex dating series, so we felt like you know, let's dust off the, uh, the books, pull them off the shelves, and just open this thing back up. No, it doesn't have anything to do with that. Um, if, but, you know, if that's what gets you to come to church, then, you know, maybe we'll do that again soon. Uh, no, summer loving. What we're doing is we're basically looking at our summer, our summer as a church, and saying, how can we have an intentional focus uh, as a group of people? And man, let, let, let's be honest. The summer, it is just, it's awesome, and it's here, and it's just so, so good. Uh, so interesting um, for, for me and my family, um, you know, to adjust to uh, the later uh, time frame of the weather around here. You know, we're used to things getting pretty warm around March and then by, you know, May, it's like full on summer. And around here, it's like you have some of those like, you know, mid-April, early May days where the vibe is just like, I'm so done. Like, done with this 70 degrees one day, 40 degrees the next, like that's terrible. And like, we're done with, you know, getting our kids up and getting them out the door and off to school and packing lunches and students, you're done with like projects and another test and a final and teachers, teachers, I see you. I, I, I know there's just this vibe of like, hey, how early can I start showing movies in my class and still keep my job? Like, April 15th, like too soon? No, can't it? No, no, that's, that's not how you do it here. That, that's the redneck schools back from the South where I'm, I'm at. They just plug in those VCRs all day long. But no, summer around here is incredible. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful place. The, the weather is amazing. And, and with all the lakes and the parks and the, the beaches, there, there's just so many things uh, to do. And you can, you know, scoot up to Michigan, not too far away, and just experience just more incredible beaches and things up there. And, um, you know, the sun is out till like 930 and you can stay out later and, and students, you can sleep in like it's your job and, you know, just enjoy it. And it's great. And we love it. And we crank up the grills and the cookouts and the picnics and we're out on the patio on the front porch and neighbors are coming out of their houses. It's like hibernation has lifted and all of a sudden there's signs of life uh, on your streets and in your neighborhoods. And yet we know with summer, there's, there's a bit of like a transient nature to it. I mean, like most churches uh, during the summertime, because vacations crank up, people tend to come and go. Uh, our college students, they tend to take off a lot of them for, for the summer. And so we see kind of our numbers and attendance, you know, kind of ebb and flow a little bit during the summer. And, and we know that. And yet we want to be intentional with our season, and with our time. And so as a church and as a leadership, we've started to look, what can we do this summer? How can we focus in and journey together, even in the in and out nature of the summer, to be on this path together? What, what, what can we do? And so that's what this, this series is about summer love and taking the church outdoors. And by the way, when you are out, we would encourage you, please, Dial in. We, we post our messages online every week, usually by Monday, Tuesday at the very latest. By the way, we have a YouTube channel now and uh, we have an audio podcast. You can subscribe to those things and just have messages like show up in your inbox and on your devices and make it really simple. We would love for you to dial in. And obviously when you're here uh, in town, we'd love it when you're here with us. And so as we are just dialing into the summer 
and we're hitting up the beach and we're cranking up the cookouts and the picnics and enjoying the pool and getting ready for the fair to come to town here in just a little bit. What, what we want to do is, is as we pack our bags and step into our summer plans, we would love to be carrying something with us, so, something to chew on and even put into practice. And, and so that's what we want to do here in this series. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay because we'll put the text of everything up on the screen for you and so you can follow along in that way. Uh, but if you don't own a Bible, please, 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 uh, before you leave here today, go out to the connection corner on your way out. Uh, let one of the smiling people know out there and uh, we would love to give you a, a Bible, our gift to you uh, to make sure that you have one in your possession. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'm gonna start in verse four. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. And so that passage is the passage that <clears throat> we are going to dive into and we're going to explore and unpack over these next number of weeks. And in fact, um, in your worship card, hopefully you got one of these uh, cards and we would love for you to, to take this home and, and put it somewhere that's memorable and visible and easy to see. On one side, we have a, a save the dates and it's just kind of uh, important things and things you should know about um, stuff going on here in the summer around Mission Point. But then on the other side is the passage that I just read for you. And what we would love to do together is we would love to be memorizing this passage of scripture together. 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 through 8. And we did this earlier in the year with our Armor of God series, and it was such a great experience uh, to just be memorizing God's word together. And we had some fun with that, and I know that was a really meaningful thing. So would love, love, love for uh, this portion of the summer uh, for you to be committing this thing to memory. But why? Why this passage? I mean, really famous passage, right? I mean, for, for most of you, that wasn't the first time for you to hear it. Uh, for some of you, you may already have it memorized. Some of you are going to be going to some weddings this summer, and you're going to hear this passage uh, recited by uh, the, the pastor or the officiant, and, and they're, they're going to talk about this because this is one of the famous love chapters in the Bible, and what better time to talk about it than around uh, marriage. And, and some of you, you're going to be scrolling through Facebook or Pinterest, and you're going to see some really cool, artsy, you know, things that have this love is patient, love is kind, and it's going to be all over the place. And you may walk into homes or in your own home, you may have this already hanging in your home. So why would we take such a well-known passage, uh, a passage that has uh, gotten a lot of airtime, so to speak? Why would we spend a number of weeks just camping out on it? Well, I could explain that to you, but, but I'd, rather, I'd rather show you. And, and to do that, we're gonna have to take a little trip. So I'm actually gonna step back here backstage. So guys, if you can follow me and, and uh, bring our lights back up here. Um, and I, I'm gonna do something that I've always really wanted to do. Um, this is a drum set. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of that. If, if you weren't, you may want to get some things checked out. Um, but 
it's really cool. Um, and, and I've always wanted to just kind of have a drum solo moment. Have you ever had that feeling? So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a drum solo. Cole right here down front, he's had that feeling. And so I'm going to dive in to my drum solo moment and just share this with you. Now, I don't know if you know this, but um, I actually know a lot about drums. My, my younger brother, he's a drummer. He's played drums for over 20 years and I've uh, been around drums my, my whole life, been a part of, of worship teams and churches. And I've been to concerts where they have drums. And, and um, so it's pretty cool. I think you sit, is this thing expensive? Uh, okay, so, um, all right. So I think this is the kick. snare. These, I don't know. Oh, it actually says a label here. Ride. It's called the ride. Okay. This one's called the crash. Ooh, I like that one. I like, okay. These don't have labels. So I don't know what these are, but all right, here we go. All right. You ready? All right. Drum solo. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, you're too kind. You're too kind. I know. That was awesome. It was so good. No, it was terrible. That was so bad. Seriously. Okay. Have you ever been to, to Sweetwater? They have this awesome um, drum room, like the music area, this closed off area where they have all of these drums. And uh, it was so crazy the first time I went there because my kids were with me and they like run in and they're like, and I'm like, whoa, no, 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 no. And the guy was like, no, it's totally cool. I'm like, seriously? And they're like, yeah, let them play. It's great. And so we just go up there and I'll just go and take my kids and shove them all in that room and like give the Sweetwater guy a hug and just wave. And they're like three times what you just heard. And, and my goodness, it's so, it's so much noise. And it's, it's just, it's just so, it's so annoying. Like, obviously that was, that was not a good drum solo. Earlier, you heard Rick up here playing with the worship team, and there was just this incredible rhythm and, and cadence, and, and he was really just helping to drive the band and just move us forward in this beautiful rhythm and the way that they came together. And I sit down, and I'm just making a bunch of noise. And that's the point of this passage and the point of why we want to camp out in this series. And so to see that, I want to I rewind just a little bit and look into verse 1 of chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. And if you've been tracking with us the last number of weeks, we just wrapped up this unwrapped series, this series about the Holy Spirit and the gifts that the Holy Spirit provides and gives to us. 
And if you were uh, keeping score at home, you know that we uh, looked through some passages in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we touched in on some verses uh, a little bit lower in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And then we looked at some passages over in 1 Corinthians 14 throughout this series about gifts and about the power and the beauty of these gifts and these gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit. And when they're put into play in the life of the church, in the life of the body, beautiful, amazing, powerful things happen. But then this passage is found right right smack in the middle of it. And it says, if you have these gifts, but you do not have love, if you're not operating out of a spirit of love, the love of Jesus, then you are like my drum solo, a clanging gong, a clashing cymbal. And you can have faith that can move the mountains, but if you don't have love, then you have nothing. And you can give away all your possessions to the poor and you can give yourself over to persecution. But if you don't have love, you haven't gained a thing. And see, I think what the apostle Paul is wanting to do is right in the centerpiece of these passages about the gifts is to make it really clear. There is a lens and there's a framework in which we must operate from. And see, I bet I could have hammered on those symbols for about another 30 seconds. And a number of you would have been like, nope, not today. I'm out of here. Like, I can't stand that. I can't take in any more of that noise, that clanging, clashing noise. And yet the reality for so many of us is this is how our life and our story and our faith is being played out. We're living lives. They're just creating a lot of noise. And I don't know about you, but as I look and I observe the world, especially the world today, it has more than enough noise going for it. And what I do not want is I do not want to be living a life that is just contributing to more noise. And worse than that, I do not want to be living a life that's just being tuned out because no one wants to listen. But when you add love to the mix, well, that's when things get really interesting. That's when things become compelling. Because love, really true, rooted in Jesus' love, that stands out in a world of noise, in a world of anger and hate, in a world of selfishness and lies. In a world where the universe revolves around me. That's a really small, uninteresting world. Even if you claim Jesus and you're, you're carrying around some gifts, if you're lacking love, it's like punching the gas on a car with a V8 engine, but you've got parking boots attached to your wheels. You're not going to get anywhere really fast. You're going to make a bunch of noise. You're going to create some damage. You're going to cause a scene. But you're not going to be utilizing the power that you have at your fingertips. But people who show up and they show out in the love of Jesus, you are going to be the world changers. You are going to be the kingdom builders, someone who brings just slices and glimpses of heaven to a desperate and dying world that is in need of some hope 
and some love. And so what we're asking is, what if this summer, what if this summer as a church, if we showed up on people's radars as good news, as really good news, good news that's filled with hope and love? Because we know the world needs that. And so what if we showed up to our family reunions and our vacations and the picnics and the fair, and we just had this love on full display? What if we became known for not living in our own selfish universe, but proactively pursued the stories and the needs of those around us? People begin to feel seen and heard and cared for. That's our prayer. Lord, please lead us in that way. Okay, so let's, let's dive in. Each week, we're going to cover some of these love attributes and, and just unpack them a little bit. And so we're going to look back to the beginning of verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is patient. Love is patient. The idea of patience, the, the thing that we're talking about here is just the ability to put up with difficult things while maintaining a holy perspective. And as the Apostle Paul lays out this list of what is love and he begins to define what is love, he wastes no time getting down to business. I mean, he dives right in and he throws the gauntlet down in the first phrase. Love is patient. I mean, come on, Paul. Can we have a little like warm up, like a throwaway phrase, like some love 101, maybe, maybe build up to some 201, eventually some 301. It's like, no, we're going right in for master's course here on this love thing. Love is patient. The ability to put up with difficult things while maintaining a holy perspective. Scripture gives a variety of nods to patience in a lot of different places that we experience it in our life. Ephesians 4.2, be patient, bearing with one another in love. 1 Thessalonians 5, it talks about idle people, disruptive people, the disheartened, the weak. And then there is this, this call to be patient with everyone, no matter who you're facing, people who are, are struggling and sort of bringing strife to the, to the equation, be patient with everyone. Romans 12, 12, be patient in affliction. 2 Corinthians 1, 6, there's this call to, to, to have a patient endurance in suffering. Patiently endure suffering. Psalms 37, 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. James 5, 7, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. So scripture calls us to be patient with people. Calls us to be patient in our pain and in our suffering. Calls us to be patient even with God, as we wait on him for him to move and for him to do the work that only he can do. And there's this just repeated call over and over to be patient because love is patient. And I think patience is this interesting um, relationship and partnership with God. I think we both have roles in it. I think that God provides circumstances he places us into the situations that, that we are in. He's the author of the story. So he places the people and the things and the circumstances in our lives. And then our role is how we respond. 
What are we going to do with these things, these people, these situations that God has given to us? Well, I have three ideas about that, three ideas of how we can dive into what it means to be a little bit more patient. Broaden your perspective. Broaden your perspective. Proverbs 19.11 says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. I think some of this, it just, it comes from time and experience. And, and, and some of us know this. We, we know in some of our, our younger days, uh, we, we were filled with a little bit more, more angst and, and, and frustration. And as time has gone on, we, we've learned through our experiences and, and through wisdom. And we've asked God to open up our hearts and our perspective on the world and the circumstances and the things that he's placed in our life. And we begin to move forward with a, a little more perspective and a little more wisdom. And some things just begin to, to play out and not seem like, well, it's not such a big deal. A person's wisdom yields patience. This looks like taking a moment before lashing out. Just, just taking time and pausing and wait, let me, let me reread that email before I fire off my response back. Just hold on a second before I just quickly fire off this text message. Just let me hold my tongue and not make this sarcastic comment that I know that I'm going to regret. And you begin to breathe a little bit deeper. And you seek out the deeper parts of the story and the, the people who are irritating you. And you begin to wonder, like, maybe, maybe this situation isn't, isn't about me. It's, it's not about my world and my universe, but maybe the person across the table from me, maybe there's something in them, something deep in them that needs a, a little bit of patience right now. And you start to ask questions. I wonder why they are the way they are. I, I wonder if they are truly mad at me or if something different is, is going on. I wonder why they're, they're so controlling or why they're so critical or, or, or why... They treat people this way. And instead of losing it and, beginning, and becoming irritated, you ask questions and you begin to find empathy and compassion. A person's wisdom yields patience. Ask God to broaden your perspective so that you can develop a wisdom that yields patience. Next thing, monitor your heart. Monitor your heart. Prior to walking out the door and, and, and facing the world, and, and for those of you that have little ones at home like, like we do, for, forget walking out the door uh, because you have confrontations coming to you before you even get out of bed. I mean, how are we fighting about Legos at 6.30, people? We have 5,000 of these things. Like, go find another one. Whoa, and we haven't even had coffee yet. Help us, Jesus. I mean, I get it. I get it. Well, in these things and in our, our daily journey, we need to take moments to self-care, to, to regulate and to center ourselves and just ask, am I walking in the spirit? Have I reconnected myself and my heart to Jesus? Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And there's some versions of this verse that say, to guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. 
And I'm not talking about your, your physical uh, pumping blood in your chest, heart. I'm, ta- I'm talking about your, your soul, your spirit that, that needs to be guarded and needs to be recentered and needs, needs to be recalibrated in Jesus because love will build patience. And the question is, as you walk into your day, as you walk into that meeting or the big conversation or the big talk or the grocery store with all the kids in tow or the trip down to the in-laws or the interaction with the neighbor, are you filled with love? Because what I find in, in, in my life is that the moments that I am, I am filled with love and I am walking in this spirit and I am centered in Jesus and who he says that I am, there's just not a whole lot that irritates me. And there can be things that, that come and they, and they do come and I can just kind of process it and take it in and see it for what it is and give it to the Lord and, and look for perspective and be Okay. And it doesn't wreck me and it doesn't change me and it doesn't move me into this place. But the times that I am not walking in the spirit and my heart is drained and I am not filled with love, I get irritated with everything. And so the question is, what's going on in you so that when life bumps up against you, what's going to spill out? Is it going to be patience? Is it going to be love? Or is it going to be this just irritated anger? And by the way, impatience has way more to do with us than the person who's irritating us. It's a really good indicator that there's something going on deep in us that we need to address. You say, yeah, yeah, but wait, 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 hold on. What, what about... What about the, the, I mean, the bad ones, the really, the really bad, I'm talking about the people that should make us angry. Author John Bloom uh, addresses this well. Patience is not permissive. It doesn't think sin or injustice is okay. Neither is patience passive. It doesn't do nothing. It is just a relentless trust in all that we do and all that we cannot do that God will deal with everything in perfect justice and he will accomplish all of his purposes. Therefore, we do not need to get angry. And see, this is a big part of what it means to to, to guard your heart and to monitor your heart. Are you calibrating yourself around your role in the story? Are you trusting God to be who he says he is, who he's promised to be, to take care of all circumstances? Finally, depend on Christ's power. Depend on Christ's power. Paul is communicating to the church in Colossians, um, in the book of Colossians in, in chapter one, uh, there's this, this thing where he's saying uh, the things that he's praying for them. And it's a, it's a variety of things and how they're encouraging him and how he loves them. And, and then he gets to verse 11 and he, he prays this, uh, being strengthened. Uh, he, he's praying, I pray that you'd be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, talking about Jesus, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. In Christ Jesus, you have the power that you need to develop a patient love. Are you depending on him? Are you trusting him for that? 
Broaden your perspective, monitor your heart, depend on Christ's power. Now, if you aren't being patient, obviously you are being impatient. And when you're being impatient, the reality is you're being selfish. And selfish is the, selfishness is the enemy of love. When asked by religious leaders, what is the greatest commandment of all the commandments? Jesus replied, love God and love others. Out of all the commandments, out of all the prophecies, out of all the laws, and there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. And these religious leaders knew that. And they're trying to, to pin Jesus into a corner and say, well, what's the most important? And, and Jesus says, love God and love others. And the way that he answers that is he says, love God, love others, because everything, the law, the prophets, the commandments, they all hang on this one thing. He doesn't separate them into two things. Love God, number one. Love people, number two. It's love God, love others. They are combined, tied together. You cannot pull them apart. In God's economy, you cannot have one without the other. Love God, love others. And love is patient because patience is dying to selfishness. And when you die to selfishness, you can begin to find greater joy in the joy of the ones that we are commanded to love God and others. And this is how we begin to fulfill Jesus' commandment. Look, I can say this with authority because no one around here irritates me. I left all those people in Georgia. Like it's just rainbows and sunshine for me all the time. So you guys gotta step it up. No, that, that's, that's not true. <laughs> Sadly, I'm a really impatient person. I think I just heard my wife laugh. Like, it's so true. And yet, fortunately for me and, and for you, God is good and he models patience for us. Psalms 103.8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And it's through Jesus that I am being changed and some of you are being changed and some of you have an invitation waiting for you to step into this transforming change. Ask the Lord to bring patience where you need it. Ask him to give you perspective and, and wisdom, to fill your heart with his love and to generously open up the power of Christ in your life. Love is patient. Love is also kind. Let's talk about kindness. Kindness is about seeing, hearing, and taking action on behalf of those in need. Seeing, hearing, and taking action on behalf of those in need. In Mark chapter two, um, there's a story about Jesus uh, being in a town of Capernaum. There's a huge crowd that's gathered around him and uh, they are pressing in and Jesus is in this home and he's there and he, he's speaking and he's teaching and he's connecting with people and, and, and he healing people. And um, it, it's just this mob scene. Well, there are these four guys that show up and they are carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, hoping that they can get him in front of Jesus so that Jesus can heal him. We pick it up in uh, chapter two, verse four. Since they could not get to him, since they could not get him, excuse me, to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Now, now let's pause there. 
We don't know much about the, the context of this story and the backstory of these guys or the, the paralyzed man. We don't know if they're all friends and they're on this mission to help their, their good buddy. Like, hey, we, we got to help him out. Or if this paralyzed man was, was just a beggar who was sitting outside the city gate and he's just looking for help. And some man walks by and notices him and goes, oh, I know Jesus. He's, he's here. He's in town today. I got to get this guy to him. And he rallies some other guys to help him. And they carry this paralyzed man to Jesus. We, we, don't, we don't know the actual circumstances, but what we can say here is that there is an unusual kindness that is at play. Whatever the backstory was, there is an awareness of the need and a willingness to do something about it. A determination to do what it takes to get this man in front of Jesus. Now, now this is in the Middle East, so I'm guessing that it is hot and we know the place is packed and there's tons of people and they're pressing in and it's a bit of a mob scene and, and there's, there's probably a little bit of chaos to it. There's also the, the religious leaders who are starting to oppose Jesus and they're starting to keep score and listen very carefully and watch very carefully what's happening. So there's kind of some opposition and they're making trouble for people who are starting to follow Jesus. So, so this place is, it's, it's kind of hot and it's crowded and there, there's definitely some tension. And these guys are carrying this full grown man. And they get up there and the place is packed and they just can't get to Jesus. And in most situations, nobody would fault them and be like, oh man, I'm sorry, we can't get you to him. Like we, we tried. Um, well, let's set you here. Maybe when the crowd thins out, Jesus will come out. He'll, he'll see you. But no, these guys, they, they, they take it to the next step. They, they look and they see, they're like, we can do more. I think, I think we can actually get him in front of Jesus. And so what better thing to do on a hot Middle Eastern day than to climb up onto the roof with a paralyzed guy and start digging through the roof? Like, what? Okay. I just can't even begin to imagine like hanging out in my living room and all of a sudden there's just guys coming through the ceiling. Like, what is that about? But anyway, they do it and they start lowering this guy down and they place him in front of Jesus. Let's shift the circumstances a little bit and apply this story to our lives. What would this look like for you? Are you seeing the need in the lives around you? Are you living in such a way that you are leaning in with your friends, with your family, with your community to help point them to Jesus in whatever possible way you can? We talked about selfishness being the enemy of love. Another enemy is busyness. And, and so many of us in here are just so so busy, some of us so busy that we've already checked out of this moment because we're already thinking ahead to the next thing we have to do. Some of you are gonna struggle today to, to rest or to connect with family and friends because you, you've got a big week this week and you're gonna wanna dial into some, some emails and, and, and get a jump ahead. Some of us live life in such a hurry that we are passing by the paralyzed man every day, so to speak. We don't even notice that he's there. Busyness is an enemy of love and being in a hurry is a major obstacle to kindness. We're running through life distracted and for some of us, we need to slow down. All the things that you've got going on, all the things that are causing you to churn 24-7, are, are they truly worth it? In the grand scheme of things, in the scope of eternity, are they truly worth it? 
Are you busy chasing down urgent things or are you pausing to invest and to reflect and to dive into things that matter? The people closest to you, what would they say about you in regard to this? Do you find yourself even hesitant to want to ask? That may be an indicator that you need to slow down. You need to dial it down a little bit. Because again, kindness is about seeing, hearing, and taking action on behalf of those in need. And if we are too busy, we're not going to see the people in need, even the people who are right next to us. And let's be honest, there's, there's never a good time to just dive into needs because it's messy and it, it takes effort and it takes focus and, and yet it's a proactive choice to engage in needs. The, these four guys, whatever the backstory is, they have seen the need and they've made a choice to engage. Look at verse five. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Then a few verses down, Jesus tells the man to take his mat and goes home, go home. He, he heals the man. Uh, verse 12, he got up, took his mat. He walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Look, look back at verse five. This is so fascinating to me. I'd never seen this before. When Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, he forgives and he heals the paralyzed man. There's, very, there's something very communal that's happening here. It's not just the paralyzed man that believes in Jesus. It's the four guys that believe in Jesus. And yet I think it's more than just belief and faith. Looking back to 1 Corinthians 13, 2, if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And yet faith and love make this powerful combination. And I believe that it's not just the faith or the beliefs that grab Jesus' attention. It's the kindness and the love of these four men to do whatever it takes to get this paralyzed man in front of Jesus that moves the heart of God. Again, in verse 12, he got up, he took his mat, he walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. A miracle happened that day because of a kindness that can only be found in the love of Jesus. How many miracles could we see in our life if we, if we devoted ourselves to be more loving and more kind? What miracles are we missing every day because we are just too busy and too preoccupied? What might Jesus do in our lives if we would slow down and open ourselves up to the needs around us? And I know when talking about the needs of others, the, the fear can be like, well, I, I, I don't know what I, to do with that. I, I don't know that I'm equipped to handle that. I don't know what to say. What if I say the wrong thing? Or, or what if this just gets too hard or too complicated? And listen, I, I, I get that. I do. But I would encourage us, let's take a look at this story and these guys as, as a guide. I believe that they do a few significant things that we can emulate as a guide for ourselves as we connect with needs. Number one, be available and aware. Be available and aware. They were aware of the paralyzed man's need and available to help him. If you slow down and you open your eyes and ears and ask Jesus to make you aware of needs, he will make you aware. And then the next step is to make yourself available and to take a step forward into that need. Be available and aware. Next, do what you can. Do what you can. These guys didn't solve everything for 
the paralytic. They, they didn't fix everything. They didn't have the ability, the skills, the resources to do that. They simply did what they were capable of doing. They could carry him. They knew where Jesus was. They found an obstacle. They could get around it. They got the man in front of Jesus. They did what they could do. And the reality is it's not our job to fix the world. You and I are not the Savior. That's not our role. But we are invited by the Savior to do something, to join him in this work of redemption, to join him in this work of hope and love and healing. Maybe you provide a meal or you open a room in your home or you support someone in need. Just do what you can. Know your limits and get help. Know your limits and get help. This is huge. They, they knew they couldn't heal the man. So they sought out someone who could. And you may connect with someone who has issues just far above your resources, your ability, your gifting. Go ask for help. Go point to help. Just like these men carried this man to Jesus, help carry some people to get some help. And finally, trust Jesus for the outcome. Trust Jesus for the outcome. At the point that the men lower the, the man down to Jesus, it's in Jesus' hands. That their job is, is done. They, they've, they've got nothing else they can do. They, they sort of put him down in front of Jesus and say, all right, well, we got him here. So now you, you do your thing. And he gets to choose what he's gonna do for the paralytic. And sometimes we help people to the extent that we can, and then we get to the end of our part. And sometimes it doesn't even feel like what is going on in our part is that helpful. And we may not see that, and we may not know this side of heaven. And yet, if we know our role and we trust in God to be who he says he is, we can trust him and Jesus for the outcome. You be faithful with loving kindness and trust Jesus to do the work that only he can do. In the fall of 2013, we became a licensed foster home and we took in a few respite cases and a couple of short-term placements. And then in February of 2014, we took in our first long-term placement, a four-year-old boy who'd experienced far more trauma than anyone should have to experience, let alone from his perspective as a child. And I want to read you just a, a quick excerpt as I wrap this up uh, from one of Erica's blog posts during that placement. Love is patient. Love is kind. These are the, two, the first two things we hear about love in this passage. It wasn't until our foster son came to live with us that I started to really break down this passage to how I live my life now. As I realized we couldn't expect changes in behaviors from our foster son that we had been working on from birth with our biological children, I found myself learning to live love as patient and love as kind. As we tried to teach our foster son what is love by our actions and words, we started using a simple parenting method based off this verse. We repeatedly asked the question, what is love? And the mantra quickly became, love is patient, love is kind. This phrase became a constant in and around our house. We said it. We believed it. We held on to it. And we did our best to live it. Now, during this time, 
we, we kind of landed on this, this passage and we thought this would be great to have our kids memorize. And Caleb was old enough to, to do it and he, he remembered most of it. And we just decided, you know what, let's just camp out on this love is patient, love is kind. And so I was so excited when this came up because this has been such a personal passage for us. And, and I saw a boy come into our home who had experienced extreme trauma. And over the course of about a week, he began to grab on to this passage, to this verse. And I watched God move in him and begin to soften his heart and break down barriers and, and just build up a sense of safety and love for him. And, you know, as tempers would flare and, and tensions would rise, you know, one of us, Erica, I would say, hey, 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 what is love? You know, and a lot of times through gritted teeth and locked jaws, love is patient, love is kind. But then eventually it just started to kind of take on this life of its own where, you know, we'd hear stuff starting to like happen in the other room. And as we'd start to move towards it, we'd hear one of the kids, even our foster son say, what is love? Love is patient, love is kind. And it would just diffuse this situation. And we'd sit and we'd process and we'd talk through and why, is, why was that not patient and why was that not kind and, and how could we do this? We, we even got to the place where we made some shirts. We have a, a picture of it because we wanted to just sort of be billboards to each other just to be constantly reminding ourselves of some of this truth. And man, look at those beautiful Facebook ready people right there. I guarantee you the photo shoot looked nothing like those pictures reflect. It was probably like, just smile for the picture. Love is patient. All right. So I know for us in our household, left to ourselves, we are impatient and we can often get far too busy to recognize needs around us and to be kind. And yet opening our awareness and eventually our home to children in need has helped us to confront our own sinfulness, our own selfishness, and our need for Jesus every day. And while we probably get it wrong more than we get it right, we rest and we find redemption in God's patience and his kindness with us. And the messiness of it all draws us closer to Jesus. And we get to see little miracles all along the way, the ways that God provides for us and the ways that he pours out his grace over us and the ways that his mercies are new every morning and his healing power over really hard situations. And while we often don't get it right, we are just trying to improve our drum solo to be a little bit less clashing and clanging of cymbals and more on beat and in rhythm with the heartbeat of God. So this morning I ask, what about you? What about your life? How are you doing with patience and kindness? Who in your life could use a little bit more of that from you? What could God do in and through you, even in the next few weeks, if you could put some of this in practice? May our summer be filled with the love of Jesus and may we be faithful to take that love with us wherever we go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so very much for your love. 
for the love and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which makes all of this possible, which is the basis for all of this. And Lord, we thank you for your patience and your kindness with us. I thank you for that, for me, for the many, many times that I fail, and yet you are patiently, kindly waiting to restore me and bring me back into your presence. So Father, I pray for all of us that we would open ourselves up, open our lives up to be moved forward in this, to to be open to your spirit, to the growth and the steps that you would have us to take in this way. And I pray even today, even today, that we would take time to just evaluate and check our hearts and, and just check in on how are we doing with patience, with kindness, with love, and open up some conversations that could push us forward. Lord, even in um, the in and out of the summer, we want to be people who are on mission, who are dialed into you and your spirit, and going out into the world to make a difference. So lead us in that way, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.